Hey y'all, this is Jeannie, I use she, her pronouns, and you're listening to Sex Talk Happy Hour, a podcast hosted by the New York City Alliance Against Sexual Assault. So I'm aware that December 1st was a minute or two ago, but we thought it was really important to discuss and honor December 1st. For those of you who don't know, December 1st is known as World AIDS Day every year. It is simultaneously a day to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS, as well as to commemorate those who have died from AIDS-related illnesses. While we have done a great deal medically and politically to address HIV and AIDS, World AIDS Day is here to remind us all that HIV hasn't actually disappeared. There's still a really strong need to raise awareness, raise funds, fight stigma, and increase our general knowledge about HIV. So that brings us to this episode. Instead of me, you'll actually be hearing from my colleague Michaela today. A little bit about Michaela. Before joining us here at the New York City Alliance, she was working at the Community Healthcare Network as a sexuality educator. While she was there, she spent a lot of time counseling patients on a range of sexual and reproductive health topics and advocating for their needs. This included counseling patients following possible HIV exposure and post-HIV diagnosis. Much of her efforts were focused around educating her patients and their families around HIV treatment, medication, and really spending a lot of time dispelling myths around HIV and AIDS. Given her background, it felt like a natural fit to have Michaela host this month's episode. She interviews a wonderful advocate named Eddie, and honestly, I learned so much. I actually didn't realize how much I didn't know until I listened to today's episode, and so I hope that you will learn just as much, if not more. As always, our episodes come with a warm self-care heads up, so take care of yourselves as you listen today. Okay, enough from me. Here's Michaela's interview. Hey everyone, this is Michaela. I use she, her pronouns, and I am very excited to be joining Sex Talk Happy Hour this month to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS. This World AIDS Day, the New York City Alliance is uniting in the fight against AIDS and showing support to those living with HIV and AIDS by debunking myths and fighting the stigma that people living with this virus so often face. People living with HIV and AIDS frequently face stigma and discrimination in healthcare institutions, in educational and work settings, and in interpersonal relationships. This stigma is pervasive, and the effect that it has on those living with HIV and AIDS can be devastating. When people fear discrimination, they may opt out of getting tested, or they may not follow up for treatment because they don't want others to find out. People living with HIV may not feel comfortable sharing their status with loved ones out of fear of a harmful reaction, and those who do share their status may be more vulnerable to abuse by folks trying to take advantage of them. By gaining a better understanding of what HIV is, how it's prevented, and how to support those living with it, we can create healthier and safer communities. In order to address some of these misconceptions, I brought in Eddie Tirado, an HIV prevention coordinator at Safe Horizon Street Work Project. He's going to give us a rundown on what we should know. My name is Eddie Tirado. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I work with Safe Horizon Street Work Project. I've been with the organization for five years, and you know we're a drop-in center for homeless youth up to the age of 25. And we provide our clients with concrete services and resources. So, you know, everything that we do, not only are we, you know, trauma-informed, but we're also client-centered. And at the core of everything that we do, you know, we just want to make sure that we come across as transparent, you know, and everything that we do is genuine and, and you know, with love and, and kindness. And so as an HIV prevention coordinator, I like to have candid conversations with our clients about sex, right? What does it look like for them? How do they keep themselves safe when they do engage in sex? And, and, even, and even within that, 
what does safe look like to them? Again, the idea being that, you know, the client is driving the bus and my job is more so to provide them with information and options for them to make informed decisions. And then the more fun stuff, you know, I also provide clients with sexual health resources and services like free condoms, STI and HIV testing. And um, what's most common now is linkages to PEP and PrEP. Wow, that's super interesting. I want to back up a little bit and start with the basics about what HIV actually is. Can you just give us a brief explanation? Yeah, absolutely. So HIV is an acronym for a human immunodeficiency virus. And so what happens is that if the virus is left untreated, the virus can lead to AIDS. And so unlike most other viruses, right, you know, when when you get like a cold, your body's able to fight that infection off. With HIV, the body is not able to to get rid of the virus on its own, right? And so even with treatment, when someone is in care, if you have been diagnosed with HIV, then you will have it for the rest of your life. And to go a little bit deeper, right, around how HIV works, HIV attacks the body's immune system, specifically the CD4 cells. And these cells, um, which are white cells, are what help your immune system to fight off infections. So when that is compromised, your body's not able to fight off common infections like a cold or the flu, right? And so over time, if your body's immune system, right, these CD4 cells are being destroyed and your body's not able to fight off infections, when infections do present themselves, your body or your immune system is so weak that it's unable to fight it off. And that's when most people get diagnosed with AIDS. I see. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. So how common of a virus is this? Well, you know, in terms of, I guess, commonality, right? There's a lot of statistics as far as how many people there are living with HIV. In, in reference, just to backtrack a bit, because I'm, I'm not too sure what common means and what that looks like for some, right? Because what may be common for one person may be not common for another, maybe depending on, you know, where you live, your beliefs. But just a little bit of statistics to give some reference. Right now in the United States, there are over 1 million people who are living with HIV and one in seven don't know that they're living with HIV. So even when we look at, you know, at that statistic and we look at the number, when you think about compared to the overall population, the number is not as significant as you would think, right? But then when you dive a little bit deeper into into the demographics of those statistics and you see how many HIV infections there were, you know, let's say the last time that there were updated statistics were in 2016, right? So when you see that in 2016, there were 39,782 new diagnoses, right? And you start to unpack that number and what that really means, you start to see how specific groups of people are affected more adversely than others. And so that's why I said, you know, what may be common to one group of people may not be common to another group, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. So I want to focus a little bit more on how HIV is transmitted and how transmission can be prevented. Right. So for starters, right? And, And even within that question, there's so much... I know in my mind that comes up myths, right, that I've heard or, or misconceptions rather around HIV transmission. So I'm glad that we're talking about that today. When it comes to transmission, HIV is transmitted specifically through sexual contact, the sharing of needles, um, most commonly for, for drugs, 
right, substances, or through mother to baby. So either during pregnancy, during the birth of a child, or while a mother is breastfeeding their child. So to expand on that a little bit more and talk about the ways that HIV is not transmitted, because I think that it's very important to highlight this a lot of the times where some of the stigma comes from, right? The idea that, well, if you're HIV positive, there are so many ways that you can infect me, right? So you can't be infected by HIV through water or air. So if there's someone next to you who is HIV positive, you're, you're not going to become HIV positive because you're breathing the same air or drinking from the same water or beverage, right? Same thing as like saliva or when you're kissing someone, right? If you're kissing someone who is um, HIV positive, you're, you're not going to become infected with HIV. And so again, like I had said, I think it's really important to highlight that because a lot of the times there's a lot of stigma that comes out of that, right? If one person who is either HIV negative or doesn't know their status is belittling or making another person who is HIV positive feel less than by saying something like, oh no, I can't drink from the same cup as you, you know, there's a lot of stigma and fear and um, ridicule that comes out of that. So I, I wanted to highlight that. As far as how to prevent the transmission of HIV, of course, there's condoms. And we have gotten away, thankfully, from decades ago, right, when the answer to that question would have been, don't have sex, right? And so the reality is that healthy beings, right, people engage in sex. So the answer that we're looking at now, right, is in addition to condoms, there's also PEP and PrEP. Got you. Okay, well, thank you so much. And thanks so much for bringing up how it's not transmitted as well, because I think that is such an important topic and to really make sure that we are not further stigmatizing HIV and helping people really understand how it, how it is passed and how it is not. So for, for listeners who don't know exactly what PrEP and PEP are, I'm sure they're getting a sense of what it is, but can you just give a, a brief explanation of what both of those medications are? Absolutely. So I'll start off with PEP. PEP stands for post-exposure prophylaxis, and it is a medication that you take if you have been exposed to HIV. And so what that means, an exposure, really means that you've either had unprotected sex, right, condomless sex with someone, you were having sex with a condom, but the condom broke, you don't know the status of your partner, or you were sharing syringes, needles with another person, right? So those are exposures and the medication PEP helps prevent the exposure from infecting your body. And so it's not going to stop the HIV from coming into your body. It will stop the HIV from taking its course where it starts to duplicate itself within your body. It will prevent that. So one of the things to highlight with PEP is that in order for it to be effective, you have to take it within 72 hours of the exposure. Anything after that, the medication will more than likely not prevent an infection. And so then there is going to be further follow-up and care that, that you'll need to take at that point. And a medical provider will be the best to sort of provide that information. As far as PrEP, PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And it is a, a pill that you take once a day and you take it for as long as you need to so there's not a specific end date with prep like there's with pep and i'm sorry i actually realized i didn't touch on that so going a little bit backwards back to pep the person who takes pep would be on pep for 28 days and then once that course is over you will 
again be tested for HIV to see if within those 28 days you remained HIV negative and then you will take it from there. With PrEP, there isn't a specific end date. If you feel that you no longer want to take PrEP, then you can stop. The way PrEP works is you have PrEP already in your system before having sex, right? So the medication is in your body. If you have sex with someone, regardless of whether it is condomless or not, if you are engaging in intravenous drug use, the medication is already in your body so that if HIV is introduced, the medication within your body already will fight it off. You will not become HIV infected. Wow, so those sound both like really important medications that people should should be aware of, but also aware of how they work correctly. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have to say when PrEP and PEP became what I would like to say mainstream, because they have been around for, for many years, PEP was used for occupational exposures, right? So if a medical practitioner got pricked with a needle, they would get the medication. And so now that it's mainstream, right, it's readily available for anyone, Anyone can use it, regardless of what their sexual orientation is, regardless of, you know, the type of sex that they engage in, regardless of what their gender identity is, any person, because anyone can be infected with HIV. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the barriers to getting tested for HIV. So if you can give some examples of this and how you see this play out in the work that you do. Absolutely. You know, again, like I said, one of the biggest barriers, of course, is stigma to getting tested. And I want to share a, a quick story just to sort of bring life to, to what that looks like. Years ago, I once went to get tested for STDs at a sexual health clinic. And it just so happened somehow, to this day, I don't know how, but when I was being tested, my information was input into a system. And the person who was conducting the test also noticed that my current partner was also in the system. So the person who was administering the test took it upon themselves to call my partner and let them know that I was being tested at the clinic. And so when we talk about stigma and we talk about fear and confidentiality, for me, and this was years ago when I was much younger, I, I was so taken aback, right? Because here I am in a place where I feel very vulnerable, right? And I'm here for the specific reason of being tested. And there's so much stigma around the mere practice of being tested and the people who I'm putting my trust and my vulnerability in to handle the situation with care and with empathy sort of violate that. It just brings everything full circle, right? Could you imagine if that would have been another person who, you know, let's say, for example, is dealing with stigma or cultural beliefs in their own, you know, family or their social network and this happens to them? When you look at the bigger picture, it really tells you the impact that stigma and fear and confidentiality really play a major part in people not going to get tested. I've had during escorts, right, at work when I've escorted young people who have told me I don't want to go to the specific area because I know people who live in that neighborhood and if they see me coming to this specific clinic, they'll know what I'm there for. And, and those are just, those are the ones that come up the most, but there's a lot of other things as well. 
mental health is another part. Sometimes a client is not ready to receive that information. Sometimes a client, especially depending on their geographic location, right? There are some states where it is legal to have sex with a person and if you are HIV positive and you do not tell that person that you're engaging in sex that you are HIV positive, then that is an actual crime, a punishable crime. Wow. So you can really see how this intersects with a lot of other issues as well. So you touched on this a bit already, but can you provide any more examples about how HIV-related stigma and discrimination affect this population? Yeah, absolutely. When you look at statistics again, right, I'm going to read them out loud. African Americans make up 12% of the U.S. population, but when we look at the new HIV diagnoses in 2016, 44% of those HIV diagnoses were people who identified as African American. Also with Hispanics or Latinos, Hispanics and Latinos make up 18% of the U.S. population, but they accounted for 25% of the new HIV diagnoses in 2016. Just a couple of days ago, a new program was put in place in New York State where certain pharmacies were going to have access to PEP without a person having to go to an emergency room or to a medical provider to get a prescription. At first, the idea sounds great. This is amazing, right? Because that means that access to care is being made more readily available, right? It's being made easier for people to get access Well, when you look at the actual location of these pharmacies, specifically in Manhattan, almost all of them were located in Chelsea. So when you look at the demographics of the people in Chelsea, most of them are gay men who are white, right? And so when you compare that, right, where the the access to care is going, where the resources are going, and you compare it to the statistic where HIV is more uh, prevalent new diagnoses are more prevalent amongst African-Americans and Latinos, but the resources are not being poured there. And so it really highlights how not only, aside from the stigma, but the resources that are being poured into the communities, they don't really correlate with the statistics. Even within our own communities, right, our communities of color, there's so much stigma that comes from within the community itself. Yeah, that's really important to talk about. So I wanted to talk a bit more now about some of the myths that you frequently come across in your work, both regarding HIV as a whole or, or HIV prevention work. There's definitely a lot of myths and, and probably more so misconceptions, specifically around PEP and PrEP. A lot of people are experiencing being shamed for being on PEP or PrEP. People also And this is something that's really common based on your geographical location because there are less campaigns and resources when it comes to PEP and PrEP in the states that are in the South, right? So there are what's called blue parties. And so what this means is people get together and have unprotected sex with the idea that if they take one pill, whether it be PEP or PrEP, in conjunction with other blue pills like Viagra, that they will be able to engage in unprotected sex and be protected against HIV because they've taken PEP or PrEP, but just one pill, one dose. It's a really big misconception because PEP and PrEP take some time before they protect your body at its full potential from HIV. 
it takes seven days for your body to absorb the medication and for the medication to work at its full potential. And that's just one misconception or, or myth. There's also the idea that if you get on PrEP, you're gonna get STDs and STIs. One of the things that it is, it is very important to highlight, getting on PrEP doesn't mean that you're gonna get an STI or STD. On the flip side of that, STD diagnoses are also increasing. And so it correlates specifically with folks who are having condomless sex because they're on PrEP. Because again, PrEP only protects against HIV. It doesn't protect against any STDs or STIs. So there's a lot of information that is not commonly shared when it comes to PEP and PrEP and how it works with the body and what it means for our sexual health. And I think it's very important to have really rounded conversations around what PrEP is, what it means, and to really highlight the fact that it's really just another means of protection and it really helps embolden and empower you to take control of your sexual health. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for helping us get a better understanding of what HIV is, how it's transmitted and prevented, and just bringing to light some of these issues about who has access to care and education and also about how stigma is affecting all of this. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us about your work in this field? I think we've covered a lot. If there are any listeners out there, specifically youth up to the age of 25, who need any services around sexual health or are homeless or at risk of homelessness, if you're couch surfing, if you are in between friends' home, you know, Safe Horizon Street Work Project is really a safe, non-judgmental place for you to come and access concrete services. So if, if you do want to come by and come for an intake, definitely stop by. We're located at 209 West 125th Street. So we're conveniently located in Harlem. If you want to find more information, Google us. And I really want to empower you to, you know, just stop by and learn a little bit more about what we offer here. Well, thank you so much, Eddie. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us about HIV. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eddie, for your information and your expertise. I learned so much from you. And thank you, Michaela. You're such a rock star interviewer. I'm so glad that our listeners got to hear from you today. Okay, now it's time for our segment, Let's Talk Sex. This segment is where I ask a question about sex and relationships to a random person and see what they have to say. This week, we have Emily. All right, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Emily. Hi, Emily. Thanks for being with us today. All right, so what advice would you give to your younger self about sexual relationships as an adult? Um, I would just say own what you want and communicate as much as possible. And if it feels one-sided, get out of it. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Listeners, if you want to be featured on our Let's Talk Sex segment, you can email me at jyoon at svfreenyc.org. That is also going to be in our episode description, so you don't have to remember that. Thank you to the Alliance staff for supporting this project, to Nikki Cruz, our social media expert, to Eddie for all of your information about HIV AIDS and about the Safe Horizon Street Work Project. Listeners, we'll be putting that website into our episode description, so if you want to check out the really awesome work that Eddie and their team are doing there, you can check it out there. And thank you again, Michaela, for volunteering to host this episode. Listeners, you don't know how much work Michaela took off my plate this month by hosting and interviewing this episode. I'm very grateful. And again, like I said a million times, I learned a lot. And of course, thank 
you, our listeners. We're so grateful for your listenership, and we hope you're enjoying the conversations we're having. If you feel so inclined, it would be so amazing if you encouraged your friends to take a listen too. Word of mouth is the best way to get people to tune in, and we so appreciate those who have already started spreading the word. And as always, let us know if you have any topics you want to hear about or if you have any feedback or comments. You can tweet at us at NYCAASA or message us on Instagram at NYC Alliance. And make sure you use our hashtag, hashtag SextalkHappyHour, all one word. Thanks so much for listening today. Next time you hear from us, it's going to be 2019. So we hope you all have a warm holiday season and the absolute best new year. Ciao.